Hi there, and welcome back to the Purpose Map Podcast. This is Casey Berland, your host and the founder of Worthy and Well. And thank you for being here for this series that is man-focused, focused on men and masculinity and stories from men as they navigate purpose and life and healing and awakening. Today's guest is Jake Sticka, a friend of mine. We've known each other for years now. Jake is one of the co-founders of a incredible company called Next Gen Men, which is really in support of creating a different future for boys and men. I hadn't spoken with Jake in a little while, and he popped into my mind immediately when I got the idea for this series. And I hopped online to just like briefly catch myself up on what I may have missed in the last little bit when it comes to next gen men. And I saw right in the header of their website these words a future where boys and men feel less pain and cause less harm. And I was like, oh, Jake, yep, let's get you in. So it was delightful. He happened to be traveling into Calgary, lives in British Columbia, and uh, we got to sit down in person in our office space and just jam on all things men and masculinity. And he speaks to the um, issues that men face with such eloquence. You know, this is his life's work. So, you know, tune in. And uh, I just love how he also speaks with a, a a grace and and a request for grace for men as they transform and heal and as we work together to create a different planet a different paradigm a different way of working and being with each other i'll let you skip right into the conversation i hope you enjoy this and definitely tune in right to the end um all kinds of ways that you can engage with Jake and his team and their company further at the end. So I can't wait to hear what you think and we'll talk to you very soon. You were saying you were getting excited about how men want to heal. Men want to heal. Yeah. And, you know, we work with boys all through kind of like men and, um, you know, there's like, you, it starts with boys yeah. and you think about the spaces that they're offered, usually sports. That's about it. Yeah. Right. Maybe there's some geeky, you know, Dungeons and Dragons type stuff yeah. or, you know, but like, there's not a lot of empowerment, self-reflection, self-awareness, questioning, those kinds of things. Those spaces don't exist. Mm-hmm. But when invited into those spaces, it's a bit awkward at first, but they're really excited that someone is asking them how they feel, mm. what's going on for them, those kinds of things, right? And if you think about men, that was, they never had that option, yeah. right? And um, they lived their whole lives a certain way. And then in the field of kind of engaging men and boys work, um, there's what you call sensitizing experiences, which is job loss, divorce, um, um, mental health crises, et cetera. And that's when a lot of men kind of awaken to their social conditioning and it's trauma, right? And some of them dig deeper into, um, you know, the, the trenches that have been wrought and some of them try to, to climb out of it. 
um, one of the few sensitizing experiences that is a positive uh, one for men is having a child. And it's like you're handed this tiny human being and you're told, uh, here, program this. Mm. And if it's a girl, they start thinking, well, well I got to polish the shotgun because boys are crappy <laughs> rather than like, let's change boys and the culture of boyhood. And if it's a boy, then it's like, worry, will they be able to survive the gauntlet of boyhood or I'm going to make sure they're tough enough to get through it. And so, you know, that like desire to heal um often comes on the back of trauma it doesn't just come you know out of just waking up one day or those kinds of things um many of us don't even recognize our our patterns that we've, we've kind of worn out and whatnot so um yeah it's it's real though but when when given or offered the space uh it's it's there mm. what do you notice with the work that you do with boys like you said that they, they want to be asked how they feel. Like, can you break that down and share maybe an example or an experience of what you've witnessed or even how, what you do, how that serves boys? Like, take me in into that. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's been a while since we've been doing in-person stuff with the pandemic, but, you know, our after-school program had snacks involved. Oh, uh, as awesome. It, as it does. Um, but to get a snack, you had to pay another boy in the group a compliment. Oh. And like, you know, not to play in stereotypes too much here, but you know, women see each other. Oh my God, Casey, love your hair. What's going on? You know, like those kinds of yeah. things. Guys don't have that kind of interaction. Right. And so, uh, these boys had to, you know, pull something out of the bag and like early on in the program, it's often like, love your kicks, man. Right. Like yeah. something really like non-personal kind of these kind of things. Then you take them on the journey of the program together. And at the end of it, it's like, Hey, I really appreciate it in such and such situation when you had my back. Mm. Right. And so there's, there's already conditioning in a 12 year old that you need to kind of undo and offer a new alternative to, um, and then like one other thing that we've created is this deck of cards called boys will be, and, um, it plays obviously on boys will be boys, but the whole tagline is boys will be what we give them the space to be. And this card deck has, I think 40 some affirmations, boys will be empathetic. Boys will be curious. Boys will be kind. Boys will be these kinds of things. Right. And those aren't words that young men hear. And there's brave, there's courageous, there's strong. It's all in the deck. But when we're given such a narrow band of what we can be or what we should be, um, everything turns into anger, hardness, toughness, uh, stoicism, right? And, and we have such limited language or ability um, to, to speak or name what's going on for us. So, um, you know, for us, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties and I'm undoing a lifetime of social conditioning. Can I prevent that for the next generation? And that's the name of the organization, Next Gen Men. Yeah. And when you had the inspiration for this and it was you and a couple others, right? Yeah. Um, what you're telling me right now, is that the same inspiration that started the organization? Cause like we haven't 
we're just dropping it. We haven't yeah. talked for a few years. Yeah. And obviously we met way back. And, you know, back when I was a dietitian, I went to one of the next gen men events. Um, and I'm just like, so glad that you're here to kind of catch myself up with the work and also to hear how you even just dropped into the conversation by talking about some sort of like traumatic event that opens up men. Like, this is what I've been talking about in our community. Like, it's not, we don't just decide we want to heal. Usually it's recognizing either a pattern like, oh, I, I keep getting dumped for the same issue or I lost someone who mattered to me or something happens that cracks open a deeper trauma that opens up the space to heal that then opens up the space for more authenticity and more growth um so there's so many beautiful things that you've already said and i guess coming back to my question is like what was the original original uh why that got you to start this group yeah i mean the why is probably still the same. It's just gotten refined and deeper and uh, deeper and wider and smarter and, and all these kinds of things, right? Because I've been at it for eight years now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a podcast. Nobody can see me, but I am a tall, straight, white male. All those, you know, check boxes of privilege. I got them. Um, you know, I played semi-pro basketball, a very privileged life. Um, but despite that, I was struggling with depression. At 19, my uh, coping mechanism was binge drinking and fist fights. And at 22, it was self-harm. And uh, kind of ending up in, in counseling therapy and going through my own healing journey and really understanding it's, you know, that masculine script, you got to be tough, you can't show emotion, you can't ask for help, was a big catalyst. Um, but that was like personal. And then one of my best friends was one of my co-founders um, and he unfortunately lost his 13-year-old brother to suicide in 2007. And he was a young black man uh, experiencing homophobic bullying, so we fear that he might have been in the, in the closet. And between uh, you know, the loss of Shaquille and my own mental health struggles and you know, Jamal's grief through that, uh, we just really wanted something different for that next generation of men because um, what we inherited wasn't working for us. Yeah, I'm getting so many waves of chills through my body and emotions because it's just like, this is so real. <laughs> like, it's just so real and so ubiquitous. And I'm just so grateful that you're doing this work, you know, like, like there just needs to be more spaces and places for men to be real, you know, to be themselves beyond conditioning. Um, so it's, I'm already being like so moved. So thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important for, for there to be spaces for men. Um, that being said, I also think there's, there needs to be more spaces where people of all genders come together. Yeah. Right. That's always been a big theme of our events because, you know, uh, sure, as men, we can come together and we can renegotiate or, or recondition what we see as masculinity, but we're not the only arbiters of that. Right. right? Like we heal in relationship. And, um, you know, uh, the systemic thing that we're working towards here is, is patriarchy. And, you know, uh, men, you know, perpetuate and uphold it, but also women do. Yeah. You know, one time I remember I was working, uh, um, a, a market for, for a friend here in Calgary who sells socks. And um, 
it was like a really funky, like uh, Saved by the Bell, you know, like teal, orange, yeah. purple, you know. And this boy grabbed the socks and he was so, so like enamored by them and kind of held them up to his mom. And she said, those are girl socks. Yeah. Right. And so like women have a role in this as well, too. Right. Every time we're conditioning blue and pink and, you know, what a boy should be, what a girl should be. You know, we've done a great job of saying that our daughters can do anything boys can do. We've done a shit job of telling our sons they can do anything girls can do. Wow. Yeah. I've never thought about that. (laughs) And it's two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, we need space for, for men to come together and heal. Especially, you know, we've been socialized in that culture of competition and domination, right? Sometimes when we think about patriarchy, we think about men over women, but it's it's men dominating other men too, right? Yeah. And I get um, invited into a lot of male dominant workspaces where, you know, uh, resources, uh, finance, tech, whatever it is. And those groups are like, well, we're like, you know, 80, 90% male. We would like to get some more uh, women in the workspace, these kinds of things. And the place that I start from, um, and forgive me for swearing on your podcast, is let, let's be real. Like, first of all, men treat other men like shit. Yeah. And if we can't, get over that how are we going to get people of other genders here and if the gender hierarchy is men at the top and women beneath that but like men trying to get to that apex position are treating other men like crap it it it's you know a trickle down shit on each other right so um yeah i think there's there's so much work to be done in this space and not to mention like i i'm really appreciating what you're saying about spaces that include and involve all genders you know i'm i'm thinking about a personal experience in in actually 2020 and 2021 part of my personal healing journey was like really around my relationship with men and and masculine energy um and you know like from a safety perspective after after trauma after abuse after assault after having experiences personally and thinking I dealt with them, right? And then of course, there's this whole other layer of healing that's required. And it was just interesting. It's interesting to me what what comes to me when there's an intention, like what comes to me from life or the universe. So there's themes that pop up when there's an intention for myself for healing. And so in basically a year's time, uh, I only worked with male practitioners. And it was like, it was it was intentional, but also not really like they presented themselves. And I was like, ah, this is a modality that feels supported. It's almost like I didn't even realize that the real healing was having support from a man, having a different, really safe, healthy experience with a male facilitator, Um, especially when those experiences involved like an altered state of consciousness. I did breath work with uh, actually one of the one of the guests of this podcast series, George, George Ramsey. He was one of my teachers, healers, guides. And in breath work, it's like I'm altering my state of consciousness and there's this man that's guiding me, you know? And to me, there, there's, um, there was healing in that, feeling safe in that state, in the presence and in the hands and in the, the like loving energy of a man and it not being you know, like sexualized. And, and I can imagine, I mean, I know it, I've, I've witnessed women uh, really who have internalized patriarchal messages who perpetuate sort of toxic masculine belief systems or behaviors in their 
partners or sons. And um, yeah, and in a world where it's easy to put, you know, people in different boxes or different corners, like black versus white or men versus women or Russia versus the Ukraine, like, like it's a, we're living in a world that is dividing people and separating people. And I often think, what would it mean to be able to be together and be in the discomfort of being together? And what will it take for us to create spaces that are safe enough for that to happen and it be healing, not re-traumatizing, you know? Yeah. And I think an interesting thread um, from what you said as well, too, was um, creating those spaces where uh, the emotional labor of holding that space kind of goes across, right? Because so many men find themselves in an ability in a position or, or having the ability to be vulnerable with women and, and kind of putting that emotional labor on them, you know, uh, a romantic partner and saying, I've never told anyone this before and, and how flattering that can be to maybe even receive that, mm-hmm. but like also the risk and the weight it puts on the relationship. Because if there's a fraying of that relationship, that man is losing the only anchor that they have who, yeah. who knows that right and so there's that piece within like a romantic structure there's you know the fact that many counselors therapists healers are are women in that sense right and um you know there's this this whole thing that you know men uh can't necessarily don't feel comfortable being vulnerable among other men because we we never know what the kind of backlash around that'll be or the threat of physical violence among men right like you know we we talk about um you know trauma and abuse and harassment that that women absolutely experience and and the vast majority is perpetrated by men but i i am adamant that the vast majority of men also have some sort of traumatic violent experience yeah. at the hands of other men yeah, right? maybe not like sexual assault or those kinds of things, but like there's a deep distrust among us, uh, among other men as well, too. And, you know, um, this dives into like a whole aspect of, of quote unquote men's work. And uh, I personally, uh, the, 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 you know, masculine, feminine energies, those kinds of things. That's like, not your jam. It's not my jam. <laughs> no, I love I'm, I'm, I'm so cerebral and like systemic and like that's kind of my lens, but, um, you know, there, there is this real piece where they talk about the father wound, right? And that is an actual pulling back of fathers from intimacy with their sons, yeah. right? Um, when it's an, an infant, a newborn, it's socially acceptable to like snuggle and smother and kiss and those kinds of things. But once those infants turn into toddlers, turn into, you know, boys, um, a lot of men pull back their physical intimacy from their child, their grandchild, their little brother, those kinds of things, because that's what's been role modeled to them. But women stay intimate and and touching with with those young men. And it's confusing for those boys. You know, why, why was I so close with these men in my life, these relatives, and now there's this distance. And, and so I do think there is some piece of this father wound and, and then you introduce them to that culture of competition domination often perpetuated through sport which i played you know the right. vast majority of my life and there grows this distrust of other men and distance from other men so um you know overcoming that as well mm, yeah i need every word you're saying about the father wound i can relate to and you just did something for me where i stepped into 
I have two brothers, right? I like stepped into their shoes and I'm, I'm just thinking about my brothers right now, um, who in my eyes have, have really kind of taken on a different role. It, and when I think about it in part, because of their partners, both of their partners who were women, um, dumped them both, you know, and my brothers changed in, in a process of that. And I feel like their, their partners have really like helped them grow. And then they've found their own realization or pathway to healing and healing that father wound for sure. Um, it, it just makes sense to me what you're sharing and I'm, I'm making it personal as I, as I kind of like integrate the truth of what you're saying. Yeah. And how unfortunate it is for them to have that separation to, to kind of force their hand yeah. right? rather than being socialized in a way that they can meaningfully show up in those relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I hope we didn't just share too much. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what's happening like present day? I know you, you mentioned with the pandemic, obviously that impacted your in-person events and like after school programs. How is it shifting or how are things coming back online now? Like what is, what is happening in the world of next gen men? Yeah. I think the pandemic was really interesting from kind of like a masculinity perspective as well too, because if you subscribe to one of those like really traditional ideals, um, if your role is to be a provider and you lose your job because of an external factor, like what is your worth then? Right. Mm -hmm. If your role is to be a protector, how do you protect your family from an invisible foe, right? Um, and, you know, some people went into like hard lockdown in that sense. And other people would rather just pretend the invisible foe doesn't exist so that they they can kind of uh, maintain that role of, of protector. So there was some really interesting stuff in and around that. And I think as well, too, like one thing that the pandemic showed is like just how much like emotional, familial, household labor women have, right? Mm. Because if you're in these modern, you know, knowledge worker type roles and the mom and the dad are home, um, you know, men had to face the fact that like their children are home with them as well. And there's two careers here and who gets precedent or priority, who's doing that extra work. Like it really made the invisible visible that way. Mm -hmm. um, which on the other hand, in, in organizations, organizations had to face that, the normality of like a child interrupting a meeting or these yeah. kinds of things, right? And like how screwed up it was just to be like, that doesn't exist. That's not real. Right. And like we exist in a world where having a family is one of the most natural things right. in the world. Billions of people have had children before. We're literally all here because of family structures and dynamics. Exactly. Yeah. And like the pandemic, I think, really threw that in our face of like, you know, the the requirements there. And and now there's tensions with, you know, um, women who were home and, and caregiving and taking that they like not having to go to the office saved them the commute and they felt like they could integrate more family and work whereas like men want to go back to the workplace and then if they're the only ones visible in the workplace and the that's where the bosses are are we going to go back to inequity where men benefit more from going into the workplace right. and, and these kinds of things so i think there's a lot kind of like up for grabs right now too and like um we need to be really intentional with what we want coming out of this period yeah if you could 
like if I could wave a magic wand and and if it truly was, let's say, a blank slate, or maybe that's the wrong framing for it, but you know, it, it kind of is like there's a breaking down of an old structure and the opportunity to build a new one. And I already am kind of surprised to see how and almost in a disappointing way, how many things feel like they've just gone back to the way they were before. Like, like, did we learn anything, you know? And so sometimes I'm like my idealistic and thinking that we could create a new paradigm, a new world, a new way of working, you know, or, or is that conditioned pull just so strong? And, you know, even as I hear myself talk, I'm like, okay, it's probably a both and, but I'm curious for you, like, what would you like to see? Yeah. Uh, both end was definitely coming up for me in that as well, too, because for some people, we saw that this last couple of years was a ginormous inconvenience. And for some people, it was a world shattering, transformative event. Yeah. Right? And then, and then you're like, these two populations come together and it's like, okay, that's going to be messy for a while. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, what do I want? Um, I almost want to make it personal. <laughs> you know, like, what do you want for you as a man in the world, given, given, obviously, you've gone through transformations already on your own that got you to a place of creating something like Next Gen Men and doing all the other things that you do in the world, right? That's not your only identity either. Um, and then there's the events of the world in the last couple of years. So I, I, it's like that question is kind of twofold. Like, I'm curious about you personally as a man speaking. Yeah. As a man. And then, and then maybe like bigger in the, in the collective, like. Yeah. I mean, I struggle a little bit with personal, I mean, like these types of things, um, as much as I can go out and, and talk about it, like I'm, I'm still undergoing my own learning and unlearning. Right. Mm -hmm. And for example, something that I struggled with when I was younger was that my identity wasn't tied to being a basketball player. Yeah. Right. And when you lose that identity, what are you, who are you, what's your worth, those kinds of things. Right. And I'd say very much right now, my identity is, is pretty highly tied to next gen man. And so, um, you know, I need to figure that out and, and what that looks like but uh, you know is that a masculine thing or is it a founder thing you know like a human thing yeah you know i think we all do that yeah I, 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 we talk about like identity death and you know i talk about your next level purpose what's that next thing that is calling you and i think it can be it can be earth shattering when something changes that forces a detachment from an old identity like when it came to basketball what was it that shook up and showed you how attached you were to that identity? Um, the inability, like I was academically ineligible to play in my second year of, of university and like um, being told you can't do it anymore, right? right. Uh, that was, that it wasn't was, your choice. No, yeah. no. And then uh, retirement eventually at the ripe old age of 24. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, so that that's something that I'm I'm thinking about here as well too, because you know I just spent two years in, you know, what I call my corner office, but it's the corner of the living room, right? Yeah. So uh, not a lot of variety there. So I'm looking forward to to kind of reemergence, reentry, figuring out what that looks like. Um, but on kind of like the you know on the broader scale of masculinities and men and these kinds of things, um, 
I understand why women don't have patience or empathy at times for men. I wholeheartedly get it. Um, but I think there is a bit of a culture shift because, you know, you look at, you know, the gender-based violence space or the gender equity space, um, it's made a lot of progress, but I think that the people behind that predominantly women, trans, non-binary individuals, um, are exhausted and they're seeing yeah. that without engaging men and boys, there's really not that much more that can be done. Yeah. Right. And for me, like my mission is to change how people see, act and think about masculinity. And so for part of that is, you know, these things, this opportunity to be anti-patriarchal or gender equity or whatever we want to couch it under, it's not happening to us. It's happening for us. Mm -hmm. Right. And how can I create that space where I can engage men and boys to get them to understand the negative aspects, right? Because we're, we're overvaluing what is it, what it is we might lose, the, the power dynamics, the ability to say what we want, like unfiltered without having to care about other people's emotions, the dominance, the whatever. Um, and we're undervaluing what we could gain deeper healthier relationships yeah. better mental health and well-being less stress um you know all these kinds of things so you know that work is almost like a preliminary work like you know in in the rise of the early feminist movement they had feminist consciousness raising circles right and so how do we uh raise that consciousness so that men and boys can show up as partners in that right yes. and and not feel you know attacked or marginalized or, or whatever in return again which i have full understanding of where that comes from because yeah. people are fed up it's taking us a long time to come to the table but people don't transform from guilt and shame of course of course yeah i uh quoted recently that quote that like the world will be changed by the western woman and then added to it but not without healed men like what you said about, and, and, and I mean that from a, like, yes, yes, yes. To more of this work, you know, like even this physical space that we're in together in person, which like, what a delight, like this space is shared by three other women, healers, you know, therapists, body workers, me, uh, the, and then there's others that rent the space and, and all of us are, are, we're just so delighted every time that we have these types of conversations with men and so delighted to see men like you, um, you know, ask for grace. Like, I think that's kind of what I just heard you say. Like, like, yeah, I get it. It's frustrating. I get, we need to, we need more, you need more support and we don't heal overnight and it's not, it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility, right? Like it's, it's a patriarchal, it's a systemic thing. And there's just such hope that I feel in my heart with every man that I meet that's like, yes, we do want to heal and we do want to help. And right now, uh, at least personally, it, it feels like I and women who are connected to healing spaces are opening up opportunities for men to heal. And what would the world be like if there were more men to open up opportunities for other men to heal, you know, and if we could do that together in a way that's healthy, cohesive. I think what, what one of the issues that we face in that is um, 
too many men are seeking and doing this healing outside of male spaces. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, you know, I always think that there's three levels of change. There's individual, interpersonal, and systemic, right? A lot of men start with their individual healing, right? Yeah. Their, how they are, what happened to them, how they want to be in the world, those kinds of things. And that happens uh, in a relationship, uh, either a personal one or, or one with a professional uh, therapist, counselor, healer, whatever, whatever we want to use there. Then there's the interpersonal and you might have like a small group, a friendship or whatever, where you're healing some of that stuff, but, uh, or, or men's groups or, or these kinds of things, but so few go to the systemic level to stop that from happening a cycle over and over again. Right. And it's because inherently the status quo benefits us. Right. And so why would we work to dismantle the status quo? Right. And so I think, but does it really, <laughs> it still does yeah. I, in political, economic, yeah. those kinds of ways. Right. And, yeah. and those, you know, um, there, there's downsides. It's kind of like a poison pill deal, right? Yeah. Handshake with the devil or whatever we want to call it. Right. Um, but, um, you know, I'm committed to meeting people where they're at the pub, the boardroom. The locker room, right? Those are the spaces we need men's healing in. Um, because if it's uh, like, you know, in a beautiful space like this yeah. that has a bright pink chair and like frilly, I don't even know what you call that on the window. Macrame. Macrame. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, it's beautiful. It has healing vibes. I said that to you when I came in, right? But like, yeah. just men don't see themselves in this, right? And so, Many men then feel if they're too healed, they have to transform into something that it feels foreign or different right. kinds of things, right? But can you be, you know, the jock who treats people well and, uh, you know, uh, doesn't make disparaging or part remarks about women and minorities? Can you be the businessman who's looking for a win-win in the deal, supports uh, their staff's parental leaves regardless of gender, those kinds of things, right? Can we be who we are and be healed in that space rather than it be kind of something that we have to do apart from from who we are right it needs to be integrated i love that so much jake i love it like as you're talking about it i'm even you know like i'm someone who's been in many different healing spaces including ashrams in india right where i've met men that are in those spaces and i think there can be this perception that that someone you know that healing means i'm becoming that guy you know that guy with the dreads or that guy with which nothing against those guys right and and i guess i just want to reflect back to you this special gift that you share in your being as a what six foot eight how tall are you You'd six so. foot eight six foot eight like masculine presenting in in the traditional way that we might think of that um man, like, like we all need healing wherever we are and we don't have to change or become completely different. In fact, that's not integrated. It's not real. It's, it's false. It's, it's like creating a whole other level of trauma to think that you can only present a certain way. Um, 
And when we, when we do that healing work and, you know, I come from the nonprofit space, uh, we call it programs for problems. So when we have, you know, men and boys in these programs and we're trying to change their, their you know, norms, attitudes, and beliefs, we see success in that. But then when they go back into the boardroom, the locker room, uh, you know, the golf club, whatever, whatever it is, they don't change their behaviors. And so internally they have those new attitudes and beliefs, but they're not necessarily transforming their behaviors in those spaces. So a lot of it perpetuates because of that fear of violence, because of that fear of loss of standing and those kinds of things. Right. And so we need to build the capacity, you know, allyship should cost you something, time, energy, money, social capital. Right. And so how do you leverage that in those spaces um, to invite others into those those uh, that transformation, right? And the most effective thing when you're out for beers with the boys, watching the playoffs, eating wings, and you know your buddy uh, looks at the waitress's ass and like makes a comment or something like that is like, hey man, not cool. That's yeah. the most powerful thing in that moment. Yeah, right. Because your peer saying that's not our culture that's not who we are mm. oh yeah makes so much sense jake yeah i uh i told you when you walked in today that this idea for the series came to mind i'd already recorded a couple episodes with some incredible men with stories i was like i want to interview my brother i'm going to interview him and i did that yesterday and then i'm like jake jake and, you know, you came to mind and then I found out you were going to be here. And then I hadn't been on your site in a while and I checked it out and I think I screenshotted your site and sent it to you. And I was like, yes, this. And it, it said so that more men can, a future where more men can heal and do less harm, something like that. A future where boys and men feel less pain. Feel less pain. Less harm. Yeah. And so baked into that is empathy and accountability. Yeah. Right. And it's empathy for the fact that men are three out of four suicides, over 80% of, you know, drug poisonings, um, aside from gender-based violence, the number one victims of all forms of violence, which both forms of violence are, are perpetuated by predominantly men, um, you know, sexual assault, uh, all those kinds of things. Right. But it's, it's kind of baked into that is that idea of hurt people, hurt people. And, um, there's a brilliant bell hooks quote that like really like shifted everything for me years ago. And I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but it's essentially, um, the first act of violence that patriarchy asks of men is not that against women, mm. but that against themselves. And should they fail to psychologically and emotionally cripple themselves, they'll be met by a group of men that will do it for them. Wow. That's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Speaks to the, I don't know. I'm just even thinking about like the work around embodiment that I do. That's like helping people learn how to be with uncomfortable stuff in their bodies. <laughs> you know, it's like starting with that internal space, you know, um, otherwise we project outward what we don't heal inward. Well, I think of it like, again, going back to where we started this conversation about the boys specifically, like that's primary prevention. If we stop them from being violent against themselves and their immediate boy peers, mm -hmm. then 
you know, I can't, there's no statistic that I can measure to say, you know, how many suicides we prevented, how many, right. you know, sexual assaults we prevented and those kinds of things. But I firmly believe that if we can change that culture and prevent that first, you know, self-inflicted violence that patriarchy asks of men and boys, um, the world will be better for Yes. Where do men listening to this or anyone listening to this, women listening to the people, we all, we all like are connected, right? Where would you suggest someone starts? Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's a big self plug here, but <laughs> go for it. Go yeah, for it. Uh, we write a newsletter every week uh, called uh, Future Masculinity. So if you go to futuremasculinity.com, uh, you can get something that makes you think every week from us. Um, one of the things that we support is a podcast called breaking the boy code and, uh, what's magical about breaking the boy code. Uh, a lot of people talk about boys, um, but it's actually hosted by our youth program manager and it's him talking with boys, mm. right. And, and putting their voice and their thoughts and their experiences. And I cry often listening to it, but like, you know, how powerful that is. And, and the latest season is called Lewis. And it's a transformation of an 11-year-old boy from being a bully to becoming an ally. Mm -hmm. And uh, you just learn how powerful for him it is to have a relationship with someone who believes that he can be better than he is. And how many boys, I think, have people give up on them, right? Or or boys will be boys, right? Kind of cast them aside through that. Um, you know, the the bell hooks quote i shared is from a book called will to change on men masculinity and love um that's a powerful book um where else uh yeah and i mean you know for people who want to follow on social media the handles at next gen men across yes. across all of the channels and i'm just thinking about what you said earlier about going into the locker rooms and the boardrooms and the spaces where people are in their environment and where that transformational change can really have a potent effect. Um, so just like clarify for me what work you do in those spaces. Yeah. So, um, uh, we're going to honestly do so much. Um, so the principle behind this is meeting people where they're at. Right. And so rather than like trying to pull them out, and to come to us. So one of the ways that we did that over the pandemic is we built a discord server for 12 to 14 year old boys. Uh, are you familiar with discord? No. Discord is like a, like a voice based chat platform. Mm -hmm. And so it's predominantly used for online gaming. And if you think about it, pandemic or not, 12 to 14 year old boys are online gaming. Right. Yeah. And so in creating a space for them where, you know, they might go from a really you know, violent, like first person shooter where people are using anti-Semitic misogynist slang to like, you know, call each other to like a really safe space online with other boys to like, just be right. Um, and how jarring that is. And even just showing them the, the dissonance around that, like that, that doesn't have to be norm. Right. So that's one aspect. Another aspect, um, you know, you mentioned you spoke one of our events years ago. Um, they're now known as Next Gen Men's Circles. Unfortunately, I'm not sure when we're, we're quite going to be back in person yet, but we hosted those uh, in pubs 
intentionally, right? Because it's so much easier to have this type of conversation when you're going out for a beer with a bud rather than, you know, in, you know, some church basement or some place where we can get uh, some space. So, um, you know, that aspect of it. And then we work a lot in, in industry and, and in, in kind of, uh, groups in industry male dominant industry um, and transforming kind of their, their cultures, uh, whether that be kind of in head office or out in the field or those kinds of things and, and supporting them in that. I love that so much. I'll make sure that all of the important links and uh, resources that you shared are noted below. What haven't I asked you that I should have that you'd like to answer? I don't know if there's anything that comes to mind. I think your questions and, and kind of that banter was really good. Mm, thank you. It's amazing to connect with you. And I just the, trust the timing of this. <laughs> so I appreciate you coming in and sharing your wisdom. And I'm just so grateful you're out here in the world doing what you do. My pleasure. Mm, talk to you soon.